500 years ago he washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck and upon the skull of the man who killed his dad he said i'm mad i must eradicate piracy injustice and cruelty and all my sons will follow me so evil doers will believe that this man cannot die the ghost who walks enemies beware the phantom's always there but you won't find the phantom he finds G'day everyone and welcome to what's turned out to be episode 101 of Expand the Phantom podcast. Uh, it's Dan Fraser here and I'm with Jermaine. How are you, Jerm? Yeah, pretty good, Matt. Pretty good, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, some hard days at work lately, but um, yeah, you know, we managed to get through it, so that's the main thing. That's the main thing. Uh, we're not going to make this a long introduction because um, this is a this is actually a secondary recording we're doing after the fact. <laughs> We've already we, shortly we'll cut to the actual interview with our special guest Robert Aman. Um, fascinating interview, and I'm really looking forward to everyone's response to um, to this one once they've heard it. Um, it's been probably six weeks since we recorded this. Um, have you had a lot of time yes. to think over it again since and the conversation that um. we had? Just yeah, re- really good. I actually was talking to a, um, I was actually talking to an African friend, and I was telling him about this, and he was very interested. He doesn't read comics, doesn't read the Phantom or anything like that, uh, but he was he spent some time in South Africa and during the period of time in Zambia and Zimbabwe where there's similar stuff, um, and and he um, so he actually lived it. And uh, he thought it was fascinating how, well, which people will find out how it was introduced into the Phantom comic. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and even just what you're saying there about um, Africa, and and we know we're talking to a Swedish guy about um, stories, foreign policy, and, and people will know by now. I've called the the um, episode "Politics and the Phantom." Like it's a it's a really in depth and really interesting conversation. I'm looking forward to people um, hearing it and, and making what they will of it. Yeah, so maybe we uh, we better stop waffling and get into it, eh? Yeah, for sure. The, now the reason that we're actually doing the uh, the bonus introduction here is because since we spoke to Robert, um, who is a published author and a, and a, and a university lecturer, um, he's actually announced that uh, the topic that we're talking about, he's got a book deal. Um, yes. And he's only announced that in the last three or four days. Um, so he's got a book deal to actually publish. You know, I, I guess it's the, the, the full story about what we talk about today, and I, we thought it was really important to to mention that um, he's got a contract with Palgrave Culture and Media, which is a branch of Macmillan Publishing. So it's you know it's it's not just some little fly by night organisation; it's a, a serious publishing company. Um, the book's not going to be coming out until probably late twenty. Uh, sorry, yeah, late 2019 or early 2020. Um, that's sort of uh, the, the scope we're looking at. So I'm sure we'll be able to talk to Robert again. But just to let people know that we are up to date and know what we're talking about, and, and that this is a this is a big deal. <laughs> Maybe up to date. I don't know about the what we talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, that becomes evident as we talk to Robert. I think that uh, he knows a lot more about it than we do. So speaking of books, um, I know that people are, uh, are saying, "When's the next Comic and News podcast coming out?" Because there is the trade paperback book. Oh, we're saying the same thing. When's the next Comics and News podcast? 
So the plan is we're going to record that this weekend and have it out sometime before Christmas um, for people to listen to. Um, we have all got our trade paperbacks now. Stephen picked his up yes. and did the uh, the YouTube preview or review that people can, can have a look at. You got yours um, direct from Fru, I gather? Yeah, after um, um, it took a week and a half to end up getting it, but I got it, read it, uh, devoured it. Um, but yeah, we'll talk more about that. And uh, you got yours yesterday, I think. You got yours the same day as mine, correct? Yeah, that's right. I got mine from my local comic book shop, um, Kaboom Comics in Toowoomba here. They were really good. Um, I, I sort of just put it to them that, you know, it was out and they ordered a whole bunch up for me. Todd was really good. He got 10 or 12 copies in, sold two before I got there, just a random talking <laughs> in from his shelf display. Oh, and, wow. uh, yeah, he, he's uh, really looked after me there. So thanks, Todd, at Kaboom. And, um, yeah, looking forward to sinking my teeth into it. Yeah, so, I, you know, so does he, because um, I'm not sure if, I don't think my comic book shop has got it in yet. Um, does he ship Australia wide as well? Yeah, he does. Um, he, I know actually he, he did send a, um, a copy of the, for those who came in late, um, trade paperback across to somebody in Perth. He was telling me yesterday when I was. Oh, okay. Wow. Um, so <laughs> whether, whether his shipping's any faster than fruit by the time it comes to him and then to, then to WA, I think everyone's got to battle the nullable, but, uh, oh, the w, Western Australia does stand for wait a while. Yeah. Yeah. No, so uh, yeah, no, he he seems pretty good. I've I, um well, you got him in touch, Todd in touch with me to help me get the um, uh, pre-ordered the uh, what do you call it the Hems um uh, trade paperback which he's getting in as well. So the lot of the President Kennedy series as well. So that's um, uh, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to actually getting it. So uh, you know, th- uh, shout out to Kaboom for that one for your help. And I'm sure if there's any others that um uh, that are struggling. Getting that, um, and then I th- so yeah, so it's it's good to see that um, that there's some local comic book stores helping, not just their local uh, audience, but also Australia wide as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, with the Hermes, he does seem to have a really good um, contact to to get those into Australia. And I know not, that not every comic book store can do that. So um, yeah, as as Jim said, if you're keen on the trade paperback for President Kennedy's, um, maybe Google Kaboom Comics and uh, and um, you can pre-order it there off the website. That's good. All right, well, should we get stuck into uh, introducing Robert and getting listening to this podcast? Because I know I'm pretty keen to re-listen to it. Yeah, absolutely. I've loved editing it and going back over it and again and, and hearing about all the stories that, uh, yeah, we need to read. But anyway, I'm not going to uh, spoil it too much more, um, and we'll, we'll uh, just get in and listen to it. G'day, everyone. For those who came in late, you're listening to Expand the Phantom Podcast. My name is Dan Fraser, and tonight I'm joined by Jermaine Parker. How are you, Jermaine? Very good, thank you. Very good. Um, very good. Not pretty good. Very good. I thought I'll change it up just a little bit. Uh, well, just... <laughs> well, we're post-episode 100 now, so um, I'm not sure what number this is going to be, but it is going to be three digits, so we're going with very good for the second century, are we? I reckon. I reckon, because first century was pretty, and now it's very good. Excellent. When we get up to, when we get up to 200, we'll have to think of something else. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, that's, uh, that's thrown all the listeners um, now who no longer know what they're even listening to. Um, unfortunately, Stephen hasn't joined us tonight. Um, he, he was a busy man, and it's Father's Day tomorrow as we record this, so um, we, we all need to be making sure we touch base with um, families tomorrow. Father's Day in Australia, I should say. Um, 
But uh, it's a very. I'm, I've been looking forward to this episode for a while now, and um, this is actually it's a bit unusual because um, most of our guests we have to pester and pester and pester until um, they agree to talk to us. And uh, in this instance, our guest uh, is Robert Aman, and he actually got in touch with us uh, to let us know about things that he's been doing with the Phantom. And what he showed us was just so fascinating. We thought we had to get him on for a podcast. Um, so Robert um, is a senior lecturer and has worked at the University of Glasgow, and I'm going to get this wrong, but also in education at the Linkaping University. Um, Robert, you can correct me, correct me on the pronunciation of that one. Um, welcome along to the podcast, and thank you very much for getting in touch with us. Thank you very much for, for, uh, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. And uh, so straight up, how, how do you pronounce the, uh, the university that you are lecturing in education? Uh, it's called Linköping University. Linköping. Yeah, you're always you're always going to get that one wrong. Yeah, <laughs> no chance. <laughs> so, so Robert, um, when you when you contacted us, you um, directed us towards a couple of essays that uh, that you've written um, about the Phantom, obviously. Otherwise, um, you know, we, yep. we would have nothing to talk about. But um, yeah, perhaps you could introduce yourself to the listeners um, rather than me fumble around through it. Certainly. Um, as, you, as, you, as, you, as you said, I'm a, I'm, I'm a researcher and I predominantly look into the, um, the interconnection, basically, between popular culture and specifically comics and um, uh, radical left wing movements. And uh, uh, in these articles I've written about, about the Phantom, um, I look into how... Team Phantomen, as they're known, the, the Swedish creators at, at Egmont, how they were influenced by uh, what's usually referred to as kind of new left ideology in the wakes of, of, of 1968, and um, how Sweden, oh, sorry, how the Phantom was redefined in tune with the kind of ideological landscape in Sweden during the 1970s, when, 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 when Film Phantomen was, was founded, and how this is, is, is highly visible also in, uh, in uh, the episodes uh, produced by, by, by Team Phantomen. And in turn, how this also, um, I would argue, contributed to, to the popularity and the success of the Phantom in, in, in Sweden. And maybe the kind of major reason to why we in Sweden consider uh, the Phantom as basically a, a Swedish superhero. Mm. So I think people are probably already getting a feel for this is going to be a very different conversation to some of the, the ones we have, <laughs> especially our comics and news, which is just banter, and uh, uh, our interviews with creators, which is very much, it's almost hero worship in some instances. But this is this is quite a, um, a serious um, discussion, and I, and I know that there are very, people who have various ideas about um, how much politics should come into um, comics or phantom comics mm -hmm. at all. And yeah. um, and what you're saying is that it's certainly the Swedish comics uh, and from Team Phantomen uh, are very uh, politically influenced. Yeah, especially during the the the, the kind of the, the forming years of Team Phantomen. If you look into those uh, those uh, adventures produced by Team Phantomen during specifically the 1970s, they are heavily politicized. Where we see the, the phantom kind of reacting uh, against certain kind of injustices in society in, in Bangala or and elsewhere, uh, which kind of echoed 
Swedish kind of foreign policy at the time and 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 also uh, is also addressing those type of injustices that that for instance quite a few social movements in in Sweden at the time were also kind of kind of, kind of discussing so 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 um it's 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 uh, it becomes I would argue that the Phantom comic books during this period in time kind of mirrors the kind of political climate in in Sweden at that at that time. It's interesting cool. because one of the things that I think a lot of fans would say when we when we have conversations and we and we talk to various people, whether it's at supernova conventions or, or you know online or whatever, we ask why do people like the Phantom? One of the reasons that often comes back is the moral values that mm. he teaches, and and yep. that really does seem to form a, the heart of um, of the writings that you've done from from what I read today. Yeah, that's 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 absolutely true. I mean, he's he's kind of um, what I would argue is that his kind of moral compass during this period kind of points in the same direction as as um, quite a few kind of dominant kind of uh, uh, political streams in Swedish society at that time. Mm. Mm-hmm. And now, the phantom. That, yeah. oh, sorry, please continue. Sorry, I was, no, 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 you keep going. Uh, and also that that the Phantom has a kind of a privileged position because he is he's kind of present in mm. that kind of Africa that came to be very very much a kind of uh, and the global South that came to be very very much on the political uh, um, national agenda in Sweden at 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 um, at that time. So he's kind of an eyewitness to those kind of injustices that the kind of yeah. that Swedish politicians were discussing at the time that that were kind of. On the agenda for the various kind of social movements in solidarity with with uh, various parts of Africa and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, could you just um, now? Obviously, we're talking about the 70s here. So yeah. Could you um, now? Could you just like t- maybe just paint? Because a lot of people who are going to be listening to this have not read what we've read, mm. which mm-hmm. you've you know which you've put in. So could you like I don't know in five minutes or something just five, ten minutes, however long it's going to take. Just tell us a little bit about what was happening with the stories in the 70s and then how that mirrored up with what was happening with your foreign mm. policy and, and and stuff like mm. that because it's it's really fascinating. Like like, like Dan was saying before that he, he you know, he's a history teacher. Mm. Um, I love history as well. It's one of the things I love about the Phantom. Um, but I didn't understand that whole... The, you know, the, the marriage that there was between Sweden and between um, uh, the places in Africa as yeah. well. So it, could you just explain? Yeah, certainly, it's very certainly fair to say um, the Swedish foreign policy of the 1970s is not high on the Australian curriculum at the moment. So uh, <laughs> no. any, any insight you can give us uh, into that would be fantastic. Yeah, and then I would like to go into some of like, the stories that you've, yeah. created, that you've talked about and stuff like that as well. So, yeah, no, that would be, that would be great. Certainly, I, I, I think that it, 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 it's quite a broad topic here. So, so if, if, if we just if we just kind of um, uh, I, I, I can give a kind of particular uh, example. I think that all or at least most of uh, your listeners are are kind of aware of uh, Rodia, the kind of the mm. apartheid governed kind of neighboring country to to Bangala since uh, uh, it's it's been kind of used and reused in more kind of uh, contemporary adventures as well, and 
this was a creation by by Team Phantom, and, and uh, I think it's, it makes its first appearance in around 1973, I think, in one of the first episodes. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is also, a, at that point in time, uh, apartheid in Southern Africa, and uh, the situation then in Southern Africa and, and South Africa and, uh, and Rhodesia was very much on the kind of on the Swedish political mm-hmm. agenda. Uh, the Sharpeville massacre in 1960, when, when uh, the South African police opens fire on uh, black protesters, mm. kind of galvanized Swedish kind of public opinion. Right. And shortly after, representatives of um, ANC uh, comes to Sweden uh, in order to kind of discuss this and, and uh, kind of pledge companies and so on and the workers' unions to kind of align themselves to... Uh, uh, the international boycott at the time, uh, which is also what, what happens. Uh, simultaneously, fa- uh, quite a few Swedish writers start writing about the situation in, in uh, Southern Africa. Per Westberg, who uh, may not necessarily be very famous uh, outside of, of, of Scandinavia, he's, he's, um, he's part of the Swedish Academy. Right. Uh, he writes uh, to he 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 lives at that in this at this time in uh, South Africa and becomes expelled and writes two very very famous books about the situation there. Uh, and I mean uh, um, his most famous one on the blacklist sells ninety thousand copies alone in Sweden at this time. And Several writers would soon follow, especially another one called Sara Liedman, who's a very, very famous Swedish Swedish writer, who's kind of inspired by Westberg and writes several novels about the situation in, in Southern Africa and uh, against apartheid. And um, so, so, so these people, in combination then with politicians, as future Prime Minister Olof Palme, who says that you know we have to end this kind of this evil, help, you know, contribute to end this kind of evil politics in, in Southern Africa. It kind of transforms this question into a kind of a, it places it at the center stage of the national agenda. And at the same time, various solidarity movements with Southern Africa are established, uh, where they try to kind of uh, uh, help uh, uh, contributing money, which is also what the social democratic movement, uh, sorry, government does. It, it starts to kind of contributing generously to these um, to these uh, uh, solidarity movements and anti-colonialist movements in in sad, southern Africa. So the question of apartheid is is very much on the kind of the, the national agenda. When Magnus Knutsson, one of the of the of the uh, two writers who predominantly kind of share uh, writing duties uh, at the beginning of Team Phantomen, together with Janne Lundström. Uh, under the helm of, of, of uh, Ulf Granberg. He invents this kind of, uh, this nation state and Rodia, which allows Tim Phantomen to, to kind of uh, transform the adventures into a kind of more realistic mood and also kind of discuss kind of issues that are very much on the agenda in the Swedish public debate, especially the political ones. Um, which, of course, also um, uh, helps, ha- I mean, in a certain way, it also helps 
uh, the popularity of the Phantom because, you know, with the introduction of Team Phantom, the sales start to gradually increase during the whole 1970s, you know, peaking at, I think it is 204,000 sold copies of a, of a, of a, of a single issue. So, which are just unreal numbers, and I'm sure that yeah. uh, Egmont or, or Fru or Hermes would love to all have those sorts of numbers today. Um, yeah. I think we, I think peak of Fru was about 50 or 60. Hmm. Yeah. So we, we've just done a, a little bit of quick um, investigating, and um, from what we can tell, Rhodia, which is a, a really important country, as you mentioned, in, in the way it's been introduced was first mentioned, and I think it's quite clever, um, the way that they did that, is uh, Rodia was first mentioned by um, a Phantom comic or a story in um, Return of the Irregulars, which is actually written by Lee Fork and, and republished by Egmont, but obviously they've edited it to mention Rodia and, and introduce it that way. And then The Dead oh. River, which was um, the, yeah. the first story, I think, which you know focused on Rodia as a, as a country... Um, yep. was released after that. So to, to sort of inject it into um, a fork story and edit that mm -hmm. in, and then before you fo before you write it in, is it is quite a clever way of doing it. Because before, mm. prior to that, the most famous um, neighbour of Bengala was, of course, Ivory Lana. So um, to, to, to make that switch, like you say, in the 1970s, or early 70s, um, yeah. to, to provide that context for a, a conversation around apartheid and and all of the, the the racism and the slavery and and you know we all understand that Rhodia is this evil regime um yep. the way that it's been set up in in team team fatum and comics um which i think you know it's it's been around for nearly 50 years now we all we all just understand that and and take it for granted yeah mm. well just um so that dead river story was actually um just recently published by Fru as well Mm -hmm. okay. So it was published last year. So for people that are, you know, thinking, oh, hang on, it might be familiar. And I remember Dudley in the message from publisher um, uh, made a made a post, uh, made a bit of a mention in his message from publisher as well. Mm. Um, and this, and the other one about return of the irregulars, uh, I think this might mm. happen a couple of times when we talk about um, these stories, and and we're going to draw you soon, Robert, on on some of the. Uh, the stories that provide specific examples for what you're talking about, but um, Return of the Irregulars has not actually been published by Fru no. at any time. So, and okay. I think that might be the case for for some of these stories. It'll be interesting to see how we go as we go through. Yeah. Well, just uh, a uh, couple. Uh, oh, sorry. So, uh, uh, sorry. Please continue. I was just going to say a, a bit more with background and stuff. Ivory Lana didn't actually come around until '75. Oh, is that um, right? Yeah. Hmm. And so that was before this. And the regulars, the, the story that you were talking about there, it was actually a, um, a mashup of a couple of stories, The Ape Idol of Durago and also a sequel to The Jungle Home, which was a Lee Fork story. So basically back, back then they would like mash up all the Lee Fork stories and kind of make their own and stuff like that. Um, which, as I say, I think so, is a clever yeah. way of... of, of Definitely. Taking people from the transition of folk stories to Team Fantoman stories. Yeah. Yeah, but but are you um, are you? I wasn't aware of this 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 kind of um, of this backdrop to 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 it. But are you um, did folk kind of coin the the um, the word Rodia or, or was that? No. Uh, I got, no, that I got was the impression. A... 
Yeah, I got the impression from Magnus Knutsson when I spoke to him that, that uh, it was his own kind of idea. Yeah, and yeah, I think that's probably the case. It's, it just yeah. looks like there was some folk stories that Team Fantuman, um put together um, and then, you know, they must have had this idea that they were going to, to mm. use this and then, and then threw it in because it's, it says that with Return of the Irregulars, it's just a mm-hmm. mention, whereas the first story about Rhodia is the Dead River. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Falk did have, he did have countries that were kind of similar as Rodia. Like Tarakimo uh, was, yeah, Tarakimo, Uglan, I think was mm, another yep. one. Um, they so were more was, dictators though, rather than yeah, oppressive regime. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, rather <laughs> than a government. It, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, but your point is, is that they were more dictators oppressing the whole country rather than just a race. Yeah, uh, Rhodia has always been very much, you know, symbolic of South Africa, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, indeed so. And also, I mean, uh, there are two things here that that I think that could be quite interesting. And that is, um, first of all, uh, I think it was Magnus Knutsson who who told me that... um, I've always thought that since the capital is, is called kind of Marcusburg in 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 in, uh, in Rodia, I've always thought that that was kind of a, a kind of uh, I've always considered that as a kind of a, a kind of a, uh, that that they merely kind of changed the name of a disciple for another. So so, so, so you know from Johannesburg to Marcusburg, yeah. you know in order to make to make it kind of very kind of uh, obvious, you know that they were referring to 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 South Africa here. He he told me though that. Um, that that wasn't the case. Uh, it, 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 it's a it's a dig at uh, Marcus Wallenberg, uh, which which is a name that probably doesn't uh, say anything to to, Sweden, to to listeners outside of Sweden. But uh, the Wallenberg family are kind of the Swedish equivalent to uh, the Rockefellers, or um, oh, okay. uh, so, so it's it's a very important, historically important kind of industrialist family who owns a lot of kind of large companies in, in Sweden. Uh, so that's a kind of a, uh, and, uh, a little dig. A very, yeah, 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 exactly. At, at the, the kind of the, uh, the kind of the, um, uh, the, the spokesperson or the major owner of that family at the time. Mm. Uh, uh, and the second one is, is that, uh, which I think I've written in one of these articles that we're discussing. And that is that, um, Janne Lundström, uh, he takes a little bit of a dig at Lee Falk in uh, the members' pages where he, uh, uh, because um, uh, uh, in these members' pages, you see that the kind of the editors with Granberg and other people, you know, they kind of uh, engage in discussions with the readers. And uh, when there's a reader in, uh, who, who kind of accuses the Phantom of being this kind of racist, kind of colonialist uh, kind of uh, character. Uh, he, um, uh, he kind of puts forward kind of uh, Rodias, the kind of most obvious example of the kind of progressive direction that the Phantom comic book has, has taken, um, you know, with, with, with the kind of introduction of Team Phantomen. And he also claims then that that uh, that uh, Rodia is like an invention that Lee Folk would never kind of uh, mm. dare to to mm. to to, um, 
to, to address or uh, you know write about because then according to Lundström then his 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 kind of readers back home in in, in uh, the US would um, kind of stop reading the comic book and probably not necessarily perhaps taking a, a claim that that Lee Ford wasn't a political political minded uh, uh, writer but perhaps more at you know the uh, more referring to the kind of con- more kind of conservative leaning of the kind of Sunday of the uh, kind of uh, sun- Sunday tabloids in in, in the US. Mm-hmm. If I can, I'll just quote you a, a, a couple of sentences here that you've written in um, one of your essays here, and I think it ties in with what you're talking about now, and just get you to comment on that. Um, you've said here, yep. I argue that the move away from Falk's emphasis on Bengala's apparent fictional nature to Team Funtelman's inscription of the Phantom Country as part of post-colonial Africa serves the ideological interests of the text in in enabling subplots involving racism, slavery and the pillaging of Africa's resources that speak directly to a vivid debate about the reasons for Swedish aid. So you've said, um, and that's probably, uh, you've said in another part as well that um, Falk's phantom was a colonialist fantasy and then we've moved to a a post-colonialist world with Tim Fantum and um, that's all... uh, so, so you see a real uh, change, I guess, between what Lee Falk was writing and the way that Tim Funtelman have taken it. Yeah, uh, I, uh, I must admit that those, uh, some of those uh, kind of sentences there are, uh, I'm kind of referring to what um, do, do, I'm referencing what other scholars have written about about sure, the Phantom sure. when it comes to, to uh, him being a colonialist fantasy. But I, I, what I'm trying to say here basically is that with the help of these other kind of scholars that I'm referencing, without uh, necessarily kind of uh, taking. Um, without necessarily using their words, is that I think that for Team Fantome, it became perhaps even more important. I'm not in any ways denying, which I'm also writing about, all those kind of changes that that, that uh, Lee Falk, you know, made gradually to, 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 to the Phantom's universe. But for, the, for um, Team Fantome, in comparison to Falk, it became even more kind of important to um, kind of, to uh, Make sure that the phantom operated in in a kind of universe and a world as kind of um, similar to real world events mm. as as possible to add that kind of layer of realism to the storylines, um, yeah. uh, which yeah. is also that you still see in you know whenever a representative of Egmont and, and Tim Phantom you know, speaks about it, he always said that you know he's he's a fictional character who's you know operating in Kind of uh, in a world you know which ha- has clear kind of resemblances to kind of you know what we would consider the real world. Mm. And I, and I yeah. think that that's one of the reasons why so many Phantom fans love the Phantom is that, that it is set in the real world. We don't have this this universe where there's magic and there's aliens and there's yep. um, you know other dimensions and all of this sort of stuff. It is very much. Uh, lots of the stories are ripped straight from the um, from the, the evening news, you know. Yep. Yeah, yeah, we have we have, um, and you make a good point. Like, apart from there's probably one story, and that was the mysterious ambassador, which I believe was oh, what was that about sixty five, sixty six? I believe was when um, uh, Luaga first came in. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the only. Um, uh, story where Lee Falk really discussed post 
uh, colonialism. Mm-hmm. Um, that was 62-63, sorry. Mm. Um, and that was a daily story. That was when... And Luaga uh, was president Luaga. by then, wasn't he? That's, no, that's, that's when he became president. Right. And because up until then, that was really the only time... Um, that was, that's probably the only time Lee Fawkes has really touched upon it. Um, and then, and he's, I, I, I kind of see some elements like Doc Axel, he was originally white and then for a short period of time he became black and then he became yep. white again. Um, so, and then President Luaga was probably the biggest one. Um, well, that's and then clearly, Colonel, that's Colonel clearly, post, yeah. But, but President Luaga, that's clearly post-colonial then. And um, yeah. Falk brought that in. But so, do you think that it was... Robert, it was more of a token, yeah. Well, is it token? I mean, that's a fairly dramatic shift in the the leadership of Bengala. I mean, that's mm. obviously post-colonial and there's the, the, the democracy, democratic elections. Um, so, But that was never something that I guess Falk explored thoroughly. But it was that... You know, Team Phantom and going right. There's a crack in the door there. Let's let's throw it open now and and um, explore that properly. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm um, I'm um, uh, I mean, w- one of the reasons to why I'm, I'm I'm very happy to 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 be on this podcast is that it gives me the opportunity to to uh, discuss with two people who know so much more about folk episodes than I do do myself because I've predominantly throughout my life read kind of. Um, uh, Egmont or Tim Phantomen uh, adventures. Um, Folk did indeed gradually kind of polish the. the I mean, uh, certainly, you know, uh, in 1936, you know, the world looked slightly differently than it did. <laughs> yes, yeah, than yeah. in, uh, in in the 60s. So, so uh, indeed, I mean, you see quite a lot of changes to to the Phantoms universe. You know that that uh, all comes down to Folk. But I, I think it's important to note, I mean, in, for instance, in the Swedish context, um, uh, and it, it specifically the very, very politicized kind of 1970s in Swedish history, uh, uh, I made a difference, I think, is also that there was a kind of very stern kind of um, uh, uh, and loud debate ra- regarding the content of the Phantom comic book in various kind of, you know, on the, on the kind of, uh, on the cultural pages in, in various kind of, uh, Dailies newspaper, and um, they were kind of accusing the Phantom of being again this kind of racist, kind of colonialist mm. stereotype, and you know. Uh, and we still hear that uh, today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Basically, being a, a fascist. Uh, so one of the things that Team Phantom wanted to do, then according to themselves at least, was that that you know when they got the license to produce, produce their own scripts, you know, they wanted to to uh, kind of. Uh, uh, they wanted to to do something with the character that uh, kind of um, addressed these kind of this kind of criticism that was directed you know towards the comic book uh, and and show that there was something else to the phantom and um, I think that that uh, you know him being present in 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 uh, that in the global south and in that post-colonial and colonial Africa that was so much on the kind of Swedish uh, on their agenda in the Swedish political debate, you know, allowed them to also to to uh, address these issues in a new manner, basically. Mm. 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 So could you tell us a couple of examples, a couple of 
Um, I guess yeah, particular a couple of examples stories. of yeah of particular stories where you know Team Phantom Man was able to be bold and, and make a make a stand, which you know for a lot of Australians we're only reading now and, mm. and stuff like that. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think I mean it, it's hard to. I mean there are many examples that are that have um, that have written about. Uh, uh, that that uh, any listener can find online, but I think that perhaps the most obvious and, and most famous example is um, uh, an episode from I think it's 19. You have to correct me now, guys, because uh, I don't have uh, the comic book uh, in front of me. But it's it's called the Trade War. Oh, it's number three, 1973. Okay. Uh, uh, when it was published, I don't know uh, if it's been published uh, by Fru. You know that? No, I've just uh, checked, and it's not. It never it's, has been. No, no so it's only been seen in Norway and Sweden, and it was yeah, 1973. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's, it's kind of an odd. It's very. It's a quite a famous episode, but at the same time, a bit uh, odd because nothing really happens. <laughs> it's it's it, 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 you know it's it, it's basically that's a, that's a common criticism it, uh, of uh, the Phantom today. If you read the comments on, uh, yeah. I think read the comments on uh, yeah. the online version. Oh, it's a, it's just a, um, a soap opera where nothing happens. <laughs> yeah, 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 which yeah. I think it, is part of reason why we love it. <laughs> could be the case, but I mean, this one is 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 uh, is basically it's, it's like a fictional foray into a post-colonial debate on depth and dependency. Uh, where uh, so, so so what happens is that there there are uh, uh, um, black workers who who are being uh, kind of uh, tricked by white wholesalers uh, who who um, exploit these workers because because of the lack of of literacy uh, um, kind of write off all their harvest in compensation for new uh, new tools basically. Uh, to be able to perform their labor. And what happens is that what's interesting then is not necessarily the kind of the action-packed ways in which the Phantom eventually goes around trying to uh, to to um, uh, resolve the conflict, but those kind of the measurements he takes in order to prevent this happening again in the future. And what he does then is that he creates a kind of co-op society right there in, in the jungle. And this may not necessarily say much to, 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 kind of, to, to foreign readers, but in the Swedish kind of, in the history of the Social Democratic Party and, and the kind of the, and, um, and uh, Sweden during the 20th century, the cooperative kind of ideology uh, uh, is, is, is very, very important. Uh, so, so, uh, uh, and at the same time as this happened, Sweden had also, in co- in uh, collaboration with the other Scandinavian countries, kind of uh, uh, launched a kind of large-scale attempt to uh, export the idea of a kind of a cooperative society and cooperative ideology. That is, that that uh, kind of uh, that uh, that the workers should own the kind of the stores in common. And share the kind of the profits of it rather than there being a a, a private owner, and um, and uh, so so 
there was at the same time this kind of uh, on the agenda that we needed to kind of export this idea of the cooperative kind of society to other parts of the world in order for them to 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 to, to ensure that they're not being taken advantage of by 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 uh, kind of scrupulous kind of uh, uh, private kind of owners and. Uh, so, so, so this story arc, in this sense, is 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 a kind of a clear illustration of of uh, how Tim Fantomen basically kind of incorporates uh, a kind of a fundamental bit of a kind of a socialist social democratic tradition into the story arc that it's the phantom then who uh, who who ensures that or or promotes this form of uh, this form of of, of uh, of uh, running a, a store, basically. That's almost mm. uh, what, what you described there is, I think some people would go straight to, oh, well, that's communism. Um, there's a clear difference between that sort of socialist cooperative and the leap to communism, I suppose. Yeah, but at the same time, it's, it's not necessarily... A, a, um, it, it's... Um, um, I'm also... I've written about this elsewhere. I mean, that, that um, in another episode where... Um, where uh, uh, um, I think this is in the same paper where um, the Phantom, uh, there's this recurring villain in the team Phantom called uh, uh, Minister Stevens, mm. who is this kind of bourgeois old colonialist uh, uh, villain that is kind of kind of uh, returns constantly in uh, the episodes of, of, of Tim Phantom. And what happens is this one is that the Phantom discovers, this is, uh, let me check here, uh, it's easier to follow. Uh, it's from uh, uh, episode, um, uh, what's going to be? Is that the Forbidden Love on Forbidden Land story? No, it's, it's the Secret of the Plantation mm, from 1971. Yep. And in this one, for instance, the Phantom discovers that that uh, Minister Stevens, who's a major landowner in in in, in Bangala, how he kind of exploits his his black uh, labor force. They're basically slaves uh, on his plantations. So and what this, happens here? Just, I'll, I'll let you go on in a second, but just to let the listeners know, this is another one that unfortunately has not ever been um, published by right. Fru, um only okay. in Finland, Norway, and Sweden again. That's unfortunate. Uh, uh, because I, um, this, uh, this, this one is quite action-packed, but what's, what's uh, interesting in this one is that at the end, the Phantom, uh, um, although it's, it becomes very obvious in conversations between the Phantom and Luaga that uh, the Stevens family, that they basically uh, they, uh, uh, stole the land in Bangala as part of the kind of colonial enterprise. Uh, and that they've used this in order to kind of exploit the locals in, in Bangala. Mm-hmm. The Phantom never kind of, expl- they, they together, and especially not the Phantom, they never explore the idea of, of uh, the state basically confiscating uh, the land uh, from, uh, from Stevens. Rather, you know, uh, what happens is the Phantom kind of twists General uh, Minister Stevens' arm at the end, and make sure that he sells the land back to uh, Bangala for for uh, kind of a small sum of of money, 
And uh, I also think that this is because at the same time, in um, at this period of time, well, you know, these kind of socialist winds, there was also a slight fear of, of, of the Soviet Union and, and communism. And I think that this could be a kind of an illustration of how um, if the state would have confiscated this land from, from General Williams, uh, the Phantom could have been accused of being a kind of, kind of communist sympathizer. But, you know, what's happening here is that there are what he tries to, to, to kind of ensure is that there are certain kind of state reforms. But at the same time that, that you know, that these landowners are kind of compensated for for their land, which is more in line with kind of social democratic ideology um, mm. rather than than communism. Mm. It's interesting this. Um, we've actually been having a, a, an off podcast chat recently about um key villains in um, Phantom history, and the Stevens family has never come up. Um, and from what you're saying, you know, they're a regular villain right through certainly the the Seamic stories the or the Egmont stories through the 70s. Yeah. And um, yeah. just having a quick look on Phantom Wiki, they seem to have been in, you know, uh, what are the, there's about six, seven stories listed here that um, are focused on the Stevens family. But I think only two of them have ever been published by Fru, and um, I think we need to start petitioning Fru to make sure that we get these uh, Stevens family, all these stories that you're talking about. That we need to see them in English and uh, and, and just see how nasty these people were. Mm. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder if um, maybe I'm underestimating my fellow countrymen, but I wonder if Australians could handle something like that. What do you mean we can't handle it? Something like that. What are you suggesting? Just suggesting that when probably not as uh, uh, we're probably still stuck in the past a bit. I'm not sure if we'll be able to uh, handle something like that. Uh, like if you look at the politics politics now, where uh, you got the South African fam- South Africans are getting kicked off their land, and uh, Australians are um, uh, happy for them to come over here and condemning South Africa and stuff like that. So well, it's I'm, not sure. it's I'm, not, I'm not sure if we could, if we could handle this. It's, a, it's an interesting segue then, because, Robert, one of the, the assertions that you make is that, um, like, it's almost a chicken and egg thing, isn't it, whether um, the, the, the Phantom stories were responding to Swedish foreign policy or the fact that the, yeah. the Phantom stories put this in, you know, you're saying 200-something thousand um, sales whether the ideas that were espoused by the Phantom then became more palatable to to the population to to make that foreign policy, and um, so maybe we maybe we need some of these stories to come into the Phantom comics to to make people more um, open to these sorts of ideas. Is that is that sort of what happened in Sweden? Do you think? Oh, it, it, I think that's a, that's. A, um uh, that's a very um, <laughs> almost an impossible question to answer. Of At course. the same time, though, um, people come uh, halfway through this conversation and are going to be thinking, "I thought I was listening to a Phantom podcast, <laughs> <a> political <laughs> podcast." <laughs> Apologies to all listeners. Uh, um, no, it's, it's uh, fascinating. It's really it's, good. Um, it's, yeah, it's a very famous Swedish kind of um, poet called Göran Palm, and, and I feel very bad here because I'm kind of name dropping. Uh, quite a few names here and saying they are very, very famous in a Swedish context, which, of course, <laughs> for your Australian listeners doesn't say much, yeah? Anyway, uh, he... Uh, we have, we have uh, Swedish listeners, so, um, yeah, you know, so they'll know what they're going on about. They yeah. probably, they they have to listen to us talk about stuff that, you know, that, that, that we know about that they don't know about, so it's, you know, it's fair that 
the shoes on the other foot occasionally. Fair enough. You, uh, I was just going to say that Joran Palen, who who, um, who basically rose to prominence during the 60s and 70s as a kind of a leftist poet, he he, he mentioned uh, somewhere that that um, uh, that this period in time in in, in Sweden uh, was 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 rare in the sense of that that kind of uh, kind of these kind of leftist pamphlets. They sold in, in in much greater numbers than you know than kind of romance novels or or or, or um, you know uh, you know mystery novels, um, which meant that you know he, he, you know there was a little bit kind of contradictory for his own sake at least you know that he 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 wrote you know he he, he you know he wrote poems you know where about these kind of grand radical leftist ideas. Uh, against capitalism, and at the same time, then and society at large, and at the same time, this meant that you know he he, he was able to earn uh, quite some money, you know, you know, writing, you know, these because this publication sold so much, and uh, who knows if that's the same thing with 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 um, the Phantom comic book that that uh, these more kind of leftist ideas uh, that they were part of the of the obviously part of the manuscripts that they they also in turn. Contributed to a certain kind of commer- commercial success of 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 the comic book. Mm. And and one of the things that you've said um, as well, and I'll just quote your own words back at you again. Um, <laughs> the the Phantom played an important part in shaping Swedish public discourse on apartheid, uh, while also helping to establish Sweden as a leading international anti-racist voice. So all of these stories that we're talking about and the the creation of Rodeo were in the 70s, and you've made the point, and this is one thing that even though I've studied South Africa a lot, I wasn't aware of um, that by 1990, when Mandela was released from mm. custody. Um, Sweden contributed one third of all of the foreign funding that were received by the ANC, which was obviously Mandela's political party. So um, there really is that that connection, and I guess this is the, again the chicken and the egg question: um, Did Team Phantom and, and those questions, the creation of Rodia, help lead to that funding of the ANC, or you know, is that something that's always inherent in, in Swedish culture? Uh, I mean, I mean, the founding of ANC that that started before before um, uh, Team Phantom broke into to, to the scene. Uh, what I'm meaning is that there are kind of so against the background of how many uh, how many kind of comic books that were were sold during this kind of period of time. I mean, there was like an average of, I think Ulf, Ulf commented on this uh, in your, uh, in a couple of episodes back uh, with you guys, that they sold around, an average of around 170,000 of, 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 of each each comic book during these years. I think it would be fair to say that quite a few, especially younger readers then, were kind of, um, they were, uh, became even more aware of these of the situation in in, in Southern Africa, uh, uh, that that the comic book helped kind of galvanize a certain type of support among among uh, among uh, younger readers uh, when it came to um, to these very very issues. Mm. Um, so, are you one of those? So for those who are watching the YouTube video, you're yeah. not you're not an old person. You're you know you're young like well me, not Dan. Um, <laughs> so you know you're a young you're a young person. You're a you know like um, I'm assuming you're probably in your thirties, and so you probably read Phantom in your eighties and nineties. So did you yeah. like did you 
like, did your mindset change from reading these stories? Um, I'm, I, 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 uh, yeah. Thank you for those uh, for those compliments. Uh, I'm, I'm, 30, I'm 36. Uh, that's still uh, young. I'm, I'm 35. So let's let's say that's young. 35. You've been 35 ever since we started the podcast five years ago, Jim. <laughs> no, I, I was early 30s. Now I'm middle 30s. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, I started reading the Phantom. I mean, I was, I was, uh, uh, um, the Phantom comic book has always been, been, been uh, present in, you know, in, uh, in my life. And, uh, I mean, it's inevitable growing up in Sweden during those, you know, that period of time. Um, uh, let me think now. I, I think, I mean, I, I, as, as a kid, I, I preferred, uh, the, the kind of the episodes of, of, uh, Team Phantom. I think, Partly because they had so many kind of historical adventures, which I um, yeah. I very much appreciated. Um, and also, what I remember kind of vividly are also I think it was was it in '93 or '94, at least in Sweden, when the Phantom took on a little bit more of a a little bit more of a kind of darker tone uh, yeah. with with um, with the with, well, Bengali, that yeah, sort of time. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I kind of enjoyed that um, uh, those those uh, those mm. episodes quite a lot, especially because I was in my I could have been around ten years old or something like that at that time, and uh, those really really spoke to me. You know, when it took a little bit of a more of a of a of a, of a darker tone there. Um, so I think those are the kind of the, uh, the episodes that I most vividly remember from from you know uh, you know uh, being a subscriber at that point. Uh, at that, yeah, at that time. and Rodeo played a fairly big part because they, you know, they gave money to uh, Labunga to be able to come into power, and then they tried to overthrow Labunga with um, uh, is it Chastity Dark and um, mm. and uh, that other dude which I can't remember who he is. Uh, is that Russian looking? Um, dude, uh, the Colonel. Um, so yeah, so Rodia played a fairly big part, you know, and their whole aim was to disable, destabilize Bengala so they can take over it. Yeah, uh, definitely. But I, I think my own kind of political, I mean, certainly, I mean, um, as you said earlier, I mean, there's a lot of kind of uh, ethics and morality in in the Phantom episodes, but I think my own kind of political awakening in relation to these came later. Uh, um, and also, you know, reading older kind of Phantom comic books, you know, um, that I could kind of easily discover, you know, whenever you, if you go to like a secondhand store today in Sweden, uh, you know, I always, which I do frequently, I always kind of, you know, um, still, you know, search for old kind of the Phantom comic books. And especially, uh, when I when I was was younger, so so I read those kind of in uh, retrospect those kind of ne- those episodes from the 1970s. Mm. Mm. So so that um, that young person who enjoyed reading the comics and just uh, you know loved reading comics because they were comics and all the rest of it. What would they have thought of the fact that now um, 20, 20 odd years later you're speaking to the creators like Magnus Knutsen and Jan Lundstrom and I understand you've had a sit down with with Alf Grunberg as well. Yeah, I had. Uh, uh, that was uh, it was uh, uh, an amazing experience, actually. Uh, mm. 
uh, because I remember that was one of the first things I told Ulf, for instance, that I've uh, I, I used to kind of write, you know, write, you know, ask, you know, write to the Phantom comic book, you know, with with questions as a kid. And uh, so, so uh, I told him that, you know, we had converse, we've had conversations, but they are, uh, you know, you know, one 25, one. 30 years. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, no, it was, it was, I mean, it was, it was a, it was an amazing experience. You know, it's, it's like, um, mm. you know, uh, at our age, you know, you know, you hardly have any kind of uh, heroes anymore or, or idols that you may have had growing up. But, you know, uh, sometime, you know, it's hard to kind of, uh, to not feel like a, you know, 10 year old again at some <laughs> part of, you know, you know, when you're speaking to these people who, who've been very kind of important to you in your, in your, uh, childhood. I think it's the same thing, you know, if you run into, um, I mean, uh, although I do enjoy, you know, watching football today, you know, or basketball or something like that, but, you know, you don't, I don't appreciate or admire the players. Uh, that I used to do as a, as a child. So if I would yeah. run into an old hero, it would be something completely different than you know running into to you know like a uh, like a you know a current player of the national team or something yeah. like that. That's yeah. very good. Yeah, we we get the same feeling whenever we interview creators yeah. and stuff like that. Whether it was a Siberian Ulf Granberg or yeah. you know all these types of guys. These you know uh, whether it's even an email. Yeah, these are the people that that we you know we've. I'm sure every person that's listening to this has tried drawing the Phantom in the style of someone or or yep. written a story because of a sequel to a such and such story and and stuff like that. And these are you know people that they're just names on a on a comic and then to be able to chinwag with them and uh, correspond with them, uh, it's a you know it, it you become a ten year old kid again. Yeah. So how did you? Did... Oh, go on. Yeah, I was just going to ask. You two, uh, how did you, um, how did you perceive or, 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 uh, or, uh, um, how did you rate those kind of, uh, episodes from Team Phantom when, when you were younger and, and started reading The Phantom? Did you feel like there were, um, some oddity in, in, in the Phantom universe or did you appreciate them or did you consider them <laughs> something completely different? I think I have a feeling we might have different answers to this. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> uh, and we've actually, this has been part of the email conversation that we've had as well, uh, Robert. Yeah. Um, for me, I became, I, I always read the comic, um, you know, my stepfather introduced it to me when uh, he married my mum and it was one of the first few things that we were able to connect with and had something in common with. Um, so I read it from the age of about seven, eight but mm-hmm. it wasn't until I was probably uh, until what I think it was ninety four, ninety five that I actually really got into the comic. Um, mm-hmm. And um, one of the first ones was it was around when Luaga had just been kicked out of office, um, and so I, I thought it was fascinating. I, you know, it was it was it was it was amazing. I really enjoyed it. I picked up on the whole. South Africa thing and the apartheid and all that with Rhodia and stuff. So I would have been what twelve, thirteen, and I picked up on it straight away. And um, and then like when I was reading or watching stuff, and you know I kind of knew what was going on because I'd read Phantom comics and stuff like that as well. So I was a little bit more advanced than some of my other school 
colleagues. But I, I thought it was fascinating. Um, like even now, like when I read the um, when Fru just recently published the uh, Dead River yep. story, I was able to like I kind of knew what was going on because I'd it was almost like watching the Star Wars. You you, you kind of get the middle and the end bit, and then to be able to get the first episode, it was you know it was enjoyable from that end. So for me, I'm a postmodernist in the Phantom universe, so I enjoyed it. Um, and even now with it in the newspaper strips and stuff like that, but um, yeah, I, I thought it was great, and I thought it added a different element. And this is where I think it might be interesting, and, and we're only well, depending on what day you talk to Jermaine, I'm anywhere between five and. 20 years older than him, but I think I think it's only, genuinely only about four or five years older. But it's a, it seems to have been a really important four or five years because um, uh, I I enjoyed um, the Phantom comics and and um, Rodia. You know, I'm, I was I nearly said quite famously, but um, one of the one of the stories I really enjoyed early was a, a Rodia story with Miss Mist, and I and I conversed with Jim Shepard actually as a as a 12 year old. <laughs> Um, about that. Uh, I'm not going to harp on about it, Jermaine. Don't roll your eyes for YouTube listeners. But my point is that I actually did enjoy some of those stories. Raise it it whenever you can. Well, it's it's relevant now, so I'll raise it. (laughs) Um, My point is that I enjoyed some of those stories early, but I think I was attached enough to the Lee Forks uh, canon by then that election in Bengali, and, and you've both mentioned that, you know, Jermaine, you came in as that was happening, and, and you've mentioned that as a, a a great moment for you as well, Robert. But for me, that was almost uh, that that was when the universe split for me, and from mm-hmm. that point on, I sort of didn't really have the regard for the Scandinavian stories that other people do, um, because I thought I I read that story, and I'm like, no, that's not right, and the fact that the the newspaper strips continued with Luaga as president, and then um, the Egmont stories had gone in a different direction. That that really was a, a split for me, a bit, a bit of a schism, if you like. And um, so from that point on, I sort of viewed any of the Egmont or the Scandinavian stories, you know, through through a coloured lens of um, well, this is this is you know, and, I, and I've used the word fan fiction before, which I know upsets people, but it. Um, you know, it, it wasn't true phantom for me from that point on, from the time that the right. that election in Bengali story happened. That's why we call him the Forkus, the old fuddy yeah. daddy. Yeah, because I'm, <laughs> I'm three years older than you. <laughs> what year are you, Dan? You're 77. Mate. Mate. 77. Yeah, you're yeah. six years older than me, mate. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so cool. it, it's interesting. It's 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 interesting that that's such a seminal um, little period of time. Um, but but the, and the thing is, it's not that I disregard what Fork did. You know, I love Fork. Fork. This is we don't dip into a different conversation. We, we're talking about yeah. Robert. The, the Fork's <laughs> the reason why. You know, I grew up on Fork. I love Siberia. I love Wilson McCoy and all that. But I, I remember I remember having this conversation with someone probably ten. 20 years ago, back in the old forum days, which uh, some old uh, listeners might remember. I always thought that um, Egmont was almost uh, a a true reflection of what was happening in Africa compared to what Lee Fork portrayed. Lee Fork, it almost, and this is nothing against Lee Fork, you know, I'm not having a dig at him or anything like that, so just, you know, calm down. (laughs) But um, it was, he almost had a, he almost romanticised how 
Africa was in there, where in Egmont, even in uh, the DC miniseries and stuff like that, no, the DC, yeah, the 13-issue series, there was a real focus on what Africa was actually like. I'm not sure that's fair. Well, you've, you've already mentioned Ivory Lana and, and Ugland and Tarakimo and all of that. You know, there were those dictatorships there that were, were going on. But it was, it was, you know, like we saw a lot of, you know, like, um, uh, you know, uh, just a couple of examples at the top of my head. There was the, uh, you know, the old jungle saying about, you know, beautiful woman and dressed in jewels can walk yeah. in the middle of the jungle without being. Then there was... Um, you know, like no guns in in tribes and stuff like that. Um, yeah. You know the council of chiefs and you know there was a real maybe maybe romance romanticized or but it was Africa wasn't as dangerous as it was in a Lee Fork story as was it was in the DC or in the Egmont That's story. That's um, so I always thought that Egmont or Semic, you know portrayed a, a more realistic Africa or f- than what Lee Fork did. And, I, and you're, think, and you're right that he he had drug smugglers and all this other type of stuff. So, but it was it was that's why it was interesting in what Robert was saying, where he wonders. I, I kind of get the feeling where you weren't having a dig at Lee Fork, but you were wondering whether whether his editors were almost afraid to portray Africa in a real in the real uh, way Africa was back in the 70s, 80s and 90s and stuff. So, um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. and, and I think that all, <laughs> of that all of that speaks to, uh, one, that, uh, that these stories, they might be set in Africa, but they have re- relation to all of us. But two, um, that we, we should really stick to asking the questions rather than having the guests ask us the questions <laughs> because then we go on our own tangents. <laughs> So, no, that was a great question. Yeah, it was a good question. Very good. Um, so, Robert, um, what do you think um, that there are people today, and I, I think quite – actually, no, I'll come to that question in a moment. One of the things that, that really struck me when I was reading through your, your writing was that you talked about um, the Phantom's values versus the values of some other – superheroes or mm. comic book heroes yeah. and you talked about superman in particular um green arrow green lantern as well but can you can you sort of talk to people a little bit about that about what the phantom value looks like versus say superman yeah uh, um let me think now when uh, whenever i um, <laughs> when i wrote about superman i think that um that it may be, I think that perhaps it's easier to um, to uh, discuss, for instance, the, because there's a very famous kind of story arc with the Green Lantern, the Green Arrow, which um, tends to be kind of be put forward as kind of prime example of kind of new left ideology in, in comic books, which is a, a story arc written by Danny O'Neill and... Uh, drawn by Neil Adams uh, from, I think it's from 71 or 72 or something like that. Uh, and the difference then, I argue, is that in uh, in these episodes, what happens then is that um, the kind of, the Green Lantern is kind of portrayed as someone quite naive with kind of a, with, with faith in corporate America and the possibilities for kind of justice under capitalism. But when he kind of goes on a trip around America with 
the more kind of left-leaning green arrow, uh, he's, he becomes kind of confronted with certain kind of social, racial, and economic injustices uh, to which he was previously unaware. And when when uh, they're back home again, his kind of political compass points into a new another direction. And what I think is interesting there is that if you compare that to how how this is being represented in the team Phantomen, in the team Phantomen's representation of, of the Phantom, and that is that the Phantom in the Swedish or Scandinavian episode, he never undergoes any form of growth, as in the case with the Green Lantern. Uh, he's, he's basically perfectly aware of, 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 uh, of um, what's, what's going on in the world and what is kind of morally uh, and ethically correct to, to do in various situations, which also means that, that I think that um, us as readers then of, of, of the comic books, especially the kind of Swedish readers, if, that's, if those were the implied readers for, for, um, uh, for, for these episodes, they also kind of, um, uh, it's a, presupposed that we as readers, we don't need to, to, to be kind of educated on what's kind of morally just to do in these various situations. Mm. Uh, uh, in comparison then to perhaps the kind of the American readership that, that Daniel Neal uh, mm. was, was writing for, that he needed to stage uh, to a further degree these, these issues and these problems. Uh, uh, and uh, that's not uh, necessary, necessary in, in, uh, in, in the case of, of uh, Tim Falkoman. Uh, another thing that I can address is also related to Rodia. Because when, when uh, you have a, a, I make a comparison to Captain America and the Falcon, where, uh, where uh, in these episodes, uh, when it comes to, to uh, uh, dealing with kind of black nationalists and, uh, and the Black Panthers, we see that, for instance, that, uh, that uh, uh, when, for instance, Captain, this is an episode from around 72, when mm. Captain America, when the Falcon, Captain America's, uh, black friend when he's kind of beaten by a group of, rac- uh, of radical black power activists. Uh, um, uh, and in comparison then, the Falcon here represents a kind of more kind of moderate integralist vision. Uh, so, so it's kind of uh, so it's very clear, you know, which side, for instance, the comic book takes here in, 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 uh, in this conflict that that uh, that the Captain America, what he needs to do is he has to prevent this kind of black nationalist from burning Harlem to the ground. And he also later discovers that his nemesis, the kind of the Red Skull, I don't know if you read Captain America. Uh, I'm um, sure we've all that, seen the movies and know uh, yeah. of, the red, of the Red Skull. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way, he's, he discovers that his nemesis, the Red, this Nazi agent, the Red Skull, is behind all of this, you know, mm-hmm. lurking in the shadows. So kind of black nationalism is here kind of portrayed as something, something kind of almost a kind of a militant ideology. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's, that's quite different from, for instance, how uh, uh, Egmont and Tim Pantomen represents, for instance, mm. ANC or, or um, the Rodian kind of liberation kind of army. Mm. Because what happens here is that the Phantom uh, in... Uh, one of the kind of more, I think, the more kind of famous episodes, it's called The Slaves. Yes. Uh, Britain by Magnus Knudsen. And in this one, the Phantom doesn't like only kind of... 
yeah, openly kind of expresses his support for for these anti-colonialist yeah. movement, but also joins them and makes sure to kind of um, uh, he joins them in order to hurt basically the kind of the economic base to 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 the south to the Rodian kind of economy, uh, and that is the kind of mining industry, which is similar to 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 the case in South Africa. And what happens is that they blow this mine to pieces. Um, so, which is a quite a quite a radical thing to uh, to mm. do, basically. So, first of all, that story hasn't been. No, um, that's another one that hasn't been published by. Uh, I'm adding it to the list of things I'm going to talk to Glenn Ford about. <laughs> I, I, so, it, so it, it sounds like. Sorry, but it sounds like you could, uh, you know, for. The, you know, for the benefit of the Australian readers, that all these kind of episodes that or stories that we're discussing, that they should kind of be uh, collected in a single volume, yeah, a single volume, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Fru, Dudley, Glenn, Renee, you know what to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd be very happy to write a foreword for this one. If, if, oh, uh, yeah, there you go. Or, yeah. If only we were the publishers, we'd have this uh, in the production line already. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to have a few, a few words in the, in the right places. <laughs> and it's done by some brilliant artwork by Jamie Val, uh, Val and stuff like that as well. So, um, yeah, definitely. Um, so when you were talking about, like, the American heroes and then the Phantom Hero, yeah. do, you, do you think it's because... And I, I kind of made a bit of a comment before. Do you think it's because, like, the Americans couldn't handle... Like, you said, like, you Swedish already knew about it, and so you didn't have to learn about it. It was just there. You, you understood it, and, you know, there was no growth in the characters. Do you think the reason why in America, because of their mindset, and do you think that could also be the reason why the Lee Fork stories were slower in that progression as well, because no, it, he was primarily writing for the American, you know, yeah, American I mean, audience. I mean, I mean, uh, to be fair, I mean, there are examples of. I mean, you have, for instance, the, um, uh, you have in the American context and with Marvel, for instance, you have um, the Black Panther, and I think it's it's, yeah. it's, it's uh, you know he, he, he fights. Um, well, I mean, first of all, in, in the Fantastic Four, I mean, you have, uh, in one of the first episodes in which the Black Panther appears, he, 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 um, he fights this kind of, uh, this, uh, kind of apartheid run kind of African kind of nation state as well. And then you have, I think it's Don McGregor's run on the Black Panther, where, you know, where he fights the Ku Klux Klan. So you have these yep, kind of examples, yep. minor runs perhaps, um, because I mean, obviously back then the Black Panther wasn't as big as you know, you know, as he is now. Yeah, which is, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. Um, the difference, though, I think, is that you know, this was in in uh, in the you know in the most kind of best-selling Swedish comic book uh, at the time. That and I also think though that it's it's this quite what I would describe as quite kind of radical ideas that that that, that you can find in this kind of uh, the Phantom comic book uh, at the time. I mean. They weren't necessarily, uh, if you consider the kind of the political landscape in the country at that time and for what readers considered to be kind of a more of a normative position, I don't think necessarily that they were perceived to be as radical. They were probably perceived as being quite mainstream because, I mean, the Phantom 
what he's doing basically when he blows up a mine and joins and joins the ANC there. Uh, what he does is basically, you know, what uh, doing the same things that many people as part of these kind of solidarity movements uh, were, you know, were hoping to do when these kind of leftist intellectuals that wrote about the issues in Southern Africa, you know, they also said, you know, that, you know, we can't just, you know, it's not enough to merely kind of, uh, to merely, uh, you know, uh, write a bit, and you have to act too, and, and, and so on and so forth. So he's kind of, uh, yeah, I think it's, 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 uh, Perhaps it could be considered as radical, but at the same time, at that point of time, and also for those readers, I think it was merely mainstream opinions. Mm. Mm. So, I mean, the it's interesting because one of the most recent, um, I, I think for a long time we've gone. You're talking largely about the 70s and yeah. uh, and and the big shift there, and all of these stories we're talking about were published between 1970 and 1975, really. And, and I'm dead keen now to be able to read these and. And, and uh, I probably haven't said that about um, Egmont or Asemic stories for a long time. Uh, but I, I, th- I think the volume you've, that we're talking about... You've turned into a postmodernist, Robert. Congratulations. Well, Thank we'll, you. I need to read the stories to be able to be a judge. Let's see. Let's see. But uh, it, it's interesting. One of the most recent... Um, it was earlier this year. A story was published by Egmont called The Golden Eagle. And I'm not sure if you've read it. Robert, um, I have, you have you, yeah. you're, you're one up on us because we haven't been able to read it yet. Because again, another one through that needs publishing in Australia. Um, but it was very controversial in some people's eyes because pro- probably particularly because of the Henrik Solstrom cover, which showed the, the Phantom laying into assailants with a uh, with a rainbow flag, and the yeah. story which was written by Philip Madden and, and uh, drawn by Alex Saviuk featured the Phantom protecting a, a gay pride rally, and uh, that was seen by lots of people as a political statement. And um, and uh, quite controversial. So, as someone who's been able to read that, um, is is that a step in in a similar direction with the with the Phantom being involved in, um, you know, uh, you know, this this left wing politics or this new left that you talk about? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I, I think it would be. Um... In my eyes, it would be slightly odd to 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 uh, consider. Um, uh, I, I know that quite. A, I mean, uh, Michael Sol, the current editor of, of of the Phantom, he got a quite a lot of, you know, especially from you know right wing supporters mm-hmm. who were critical of this. But you know, if if protecting a, a gay pride is considered to be a kind of a left wing opinion, I think we are in a really dark place. <laughs> um, uh, but you know this. Uh, yes. I know that Miguel spoke about um, about this and that you know he wanted you know uh, the phantom or, or pushed the phantom into a kind of a direction where where, where um, you know he take you know he he takes you know political you know he takes side basically. But I mean in this episode it's not uh, how should I put it? it, it, it I mean. It is not necessarily an episode about about the Phantom, uh, you know, expressing his support for for mm. for for um, uh, for um, um, uh, the LGBT marriage or anything like that. Or something like that. Uh, uh, there would have been desirable, of course, but uh, uh, what's what's happening in is is that basically he. Um, he tracks down this kind of stolen, this stolen object, and uh, he, uh, on, on his way, 
you know, he, he sees these kind of nationalists attacking uh, uh, this, this, this kind of uh, uh, gay pride uh, uh, train and, and uh, kind of um, uh, prevents them from, 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 from uh, hurting anyone. Uh, but it's, it's not necessarily a kind of it's not a kind of um, it's not necessarily a, a, an important part of the of the episode. It's more something that's yes. kind of occurring. Meanwhile, I think that that um, sometimes you get the uh, you get the kind of the um, you get the impression from the 70s episode from Team Phantomen that you know they had this idea that. In the case of the trade war by Janne Lundström, that how can I kind of uh, how can I make an adventure about kind of cooperative ideology? Right. Let's begin with that, and then we try and kind of kind of make an adventure about it. So that's the kind of the the central bit of it. Uh, so it becomes almost kind of didactic in its intent. Mm. And I think I think it's, uh, I think um, this is a slightly different case, the one that we, uh, the episode that was yeah. published on, uh, in spring here in Sweden. Yeah. I think you raise a good point, and I'm, you probably didn't even know, but um, uh, I wrote an article basically saying the same thing. Mm. Is, yeah. And I, because um, uh, a lot of people were getting. It's all based off the cover image, isn't it? Everyone. Yeah, um, a lot upset. of people are making judgment on the one cover image, which. Uh, it's sold issues, so uh, you know that is good. And got a lot of media, <laughs> and a lot of media. But yeah, people, a lot of people got upset, and a lot of people got excited uh, from both sides of the fence, all based on you know, probably I think it was about two pages and the cover, mm. um, and where people probably should have been focusing on actually the story. So, so, yeah. so Robert, yeah. um, what would you say? Because, because Bringing that comic and that that image brought up a, a lot of um, a lot of questions about um, politics and comics, basically. Um, and mm. lots of people would, were saying uh, the politics has no place in comics. That's where I go for my escapism. Whether you're left wing or right wing or anywhere in between, um, I don't want to see politics in, in in my comic books. So, what would you say to people who say that um, politics should stay out of the comics? Yeah. Um, uh, it's a good question. It's a very good question. <laughs> I, 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 do, I mean, I, I, I do think that that um, that uh, I, I know that uh, uh, Alan Moore, the famous British uh, uh, comic book writer, has said that all kind of all comics are ideological, uh, yeah. even if they are uh, even if they are not. Uh, overtly kind of expressing certain political ideals. I mean, they are kind of, uh, you know, um, um, they are, uh, comic books are still, especially when it comes to, for instance, to superheroes or, or, or uh, you know, that, that they are, there are kind of ideals, political ideals instilled in them, basically. You know, for instance, there are quite a few very, very good books on how, uh, how uh, most American superheroes are kind of defenders of capitalism implicitly, uh, in you know in in uh, you know it's, you know uh, directing their attention towards kind of you know uh, you know petty villains rather than kind of uh, going up against you know trying to change the kind of the economical system in the country or uh, or similar issues. So so um, uh, I think I think politics has always been a 
a big part of, of, of the comic book industry. And um, that's also why I think comic books are such a great kind of mirror when it comes to kind of understanding uh, understanding uh, a society at a certain point in time, you know, depending on the issues that they're kind of addressing. And also how you can, through, for instance, like a character of the Phantom, how you can kind of see ideological changes if you, you know, if you start reading uh, uh, backwards, if you start reading the first comic books by Lee Falk from 1936 and then up to, to today, I mean, you'll be able to see, you know, certain kind of political shifts in, in, in the comic books, which are, of course, kind of reflections of what's going on uh, around in um, society. Oh, I think you're absolutely right, because if all of the, we, we keep using the word heroes, all of these heroes have to have villains and by definition therefore you're saying that these guys are good and those guys are bad and so therefore the things that the bad guys are doing are morally corrupt and the things that the heroes are representing are morally valuable so therefore they have to be ideological don't they and um, mm. so, so by definition comic books and particularly those featuring heroes and villains um, yeah. are, are inherently ideological and and i guess at sometimes at various points in history those ideologies are more politically relevant than others so yeah yeah you raise, um sorry i was just gonna say you, you raise a you raise a great point there where captain i think captain america was originally created by a bunch of um uh one theory don't know how right it is or not but captain america according to some people was created by a bunch of Jews who were sick and tired of um, the Nazis getting away with it in America, not getting into the war, and so they created Captain America and some of these other um, uh, some of these other characters as well. So it's it's interesting that they've gone from that to where you were saying that they've the bad guys have gone from Hitler to capitalism. Um, yeah, I mean, so, yeah. I mean, Captain America. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's a great example. I mean, it was Joe Simon and Jack Kirby, right, who who invented yeah. Captain America, and he he basically joins the Second World War before America did. Mm. Um, I mean, it, 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 Captain America is a very interesting character to understand, kind of um, American kind of society and the kind of the winds in 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 kind of domestic politics there, where where you can see how he during the sixties. It's quite, especially and other characters like Iron Man, how they kind of openly, you know, how all, because I think villains, as you said, villains and, and foes, you know, who are the villains and the foes in, in the comic mm. books are usually a very, very good indicator of, you know, what's going on. Um, and they usually say more about about the kind of the political ideals than, than the actual hero. And, you know, if they fought, you know, communist spies. In, in every comic book during the 1970s, I mean, after the Vietnam War and so on and so forth, these characters started to more or less have a, a little bit of an identity crisis, you know, when they were, um, you know, more and more being, uh, becoming more and more, becoming uh, 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 more and more, uh, uh, having a harder time to, to, to kind of legitimize American foreign policies. So we're kind of yeah. quite openly reasoning about this. Uh, and, you know, during the 80s and the Reagan years, when they were became even more like a someone like Captain America started to kind of have more and more hesitant approach towards kind of the American government and so on and so forth, you know, disputing whether or not America as an ideal was necessarily the kind of the, the best thing to, to, to pursue and so on and so forth. So, so yeah, there are many, there are many, many interesting characters there.
Mm. So I've got I've got one more question. Um, yep. So the Phantom and Tarzan, two white guys in America in Africa, um, both being called lords and uh, protectors and stuff like that. Um, do you think with our enlightenment, I suppose you could use a, a better word. 2018 eyes. <laughs> yeah. Do you, um, just, basically what I'm guessing is we see like the Black Panther, which was, you know, very successful and it's become a very successful movie, comic book series and stuff like that, where the Phantom almost hasn't. And even if you look at Tarzan as well, like, now, personally, there's been there's been a recent movie of Tarzan, and there's been a recent movie of uh, Black Panther. Now, I personally think the Tarzan movie was hands down a better movie than the Black Panther movie. It All was right. it was I, I enjoyed it a lot more. However, that every time every time there's been either uh, and you know a, a Tarzan new comic book series or a Phantom comic book series or even a new Tarzan movie, it's always talked about how there's a white man lording over natives and, and stuff like that. Do you think that is one reason why we've, why I guess the fandom has not been as popular as what it could have been in the movie sense or even in the comics and stuff like that as well, because it is a white man in Africa? That's a very good question. I mean, that trope of, of the kind of the kind of um, of, 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 of the, this kind of white hero acting out his kind of personal adventures on the African kind of continent. I mean, that's been uh, that's been such a central part of kind of Western literary writing, you know, since the 19th century. So, so, so it's been a uh, so so uh, certainly. I mean, uh, uh, time has moved on, and, and uh, rightfully so. Many of these kind of uh, these uh, uh, novel, these old kind of Tarzan novels and so on and so forth, they are rightfully criticized for many things, especially the representations of 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 uh, of, uh, uh, of the locals, which which uh, um, that's. I mean, in the case of the Phantom, I'm, I mean, I'm certain that there are uh, uh, that there are possibilities for. I mean, a lot of people appreciate the Phantom around the world, including us, and and I'm sure that there are possibilities for another the Phantom movie. However, I think it must be a little bit better than than uh, than, uh, than uh, the one that we saw in '96. I think it was, wasn't it? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. '96. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, that's probably my my short answer to that question. All right. Well, we we need to wrap up soon. I do have one last question for you. And again, I'm I'm going to quote from your piece and then ask you an article, uh, ask you a question around that. Um, right. And and I think that that my question is something is going to be around something that is often thrown at people who who align themselves with. With left wing left wing politics, I suppose. Um, you, you said in in one of your pieces that Sweden's positioning of itself as an international moral authority, as the result of its assumption of the role of self-proclaimed representative of social democracy, welfare politics, and neutrality, um, that's that's somewhere that Sweden has been. I think that's uh, that's also basically where the Phantom is. He's a he's a moral authority and a self-proclaimed representative of, of democracy and welfare politics and neutrality. Um, 
this is something that's thrown at left-wing um, believers. Is the is Sweden and the Phantom are they just a little bit smug? <laughs> um, um, <laughs> I uh, I think I think it would be hard to deny that in the case of, of uh, this kind of international branding of of uh, of Sweden that occurred during those years, you know, during uh, especially during the 60s and 70s in the case of Sweden with with kind of the internationalism of 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 uh, of, of especially then the Social Democratic Party and all of Parliament these kind of these kind of key actors. Uh, uh, so yeah. Definitely. In the case of the Phantom, um, yeah, he's a little bit smug, isn't he? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, very good. (laughs) All right. Um, Look, it's been fascinating chatting to you, Robert. I've really enjoyed it. And and, um, I really hope that we can get through to get this volume of of important Egmont Team Phantom and works together. Um, Never thought volume... I would hear Dan say that. No, you, you've <laughs> uh, you've turned. Oh, you've made me turn a corner. I'm, I'm going to have to go for another lead. Um, the I, I would love to. I'd love to see that happen. Whether it's as a series or as one volume, and uh, and I would like to think that Robert, we could get you in to to write an introduction or something like that. In which case, we'd definitely get you back for another podcast to talk about uh, to talk about that experience and and how that's put, been put together. But in the meantime, I mean, Jermaine and I are privileged that we've been able to read the the writings that you've put together, and um, it's it's not for the faint-hearted. I will say, as people who mostly enjoy reading comic books, to suddenly turn around and read the writings. Of a, of a senior lecturer in education um, who focuses on um, you know ideology, national identity, politics of representation in comics. Um, you know they're weighty reads, but but how can people read your essays or, or your articles? I mean, you can you can if you just Google them, they, they'll appear. Um, some I think uh, we are speaking about two essays here, um, and yes. hopefully. There will be a book next year, but I'll get back to that with you guys later on because I'm in discussions with, with publishers. But um, uh, uh, these two uh, uh, are, uh, one of them are available online, but sometimes uh, if you're not kind of, um, uh, there could be a paywall depending on um, on uh, uh, if you log on to uh, kind of a library or something or not. Uh, but what you can do is that you can always drop me an email and I'll, uh, I'll uh, uh, ensure that those who wish to read these this, this, uh, essays will be able to do so. Excellent, excellent. Well, certainly, if anyone anyone who's listened to this and, and is interested enough to, to read your writings, and, and I would thoroughly encourage people to do so, if they can get in touch with us, and we'll pass on your email address, and uh, they yes. can they can get access to it that way. Perfect. Yeah. For otherwise, it's Robert dot Aman uh, at l e u dot s e, which is my email address. Perfect. Excellent. All right. So uh, people can can write that one down and, and get in touch with you. Perfect. And I also hope that you'll be able to in the future, since I enjoy listening to to your podcast, that you'll be able to get uh, Magnus Knutsson on um, on the show. Yes. Also because since he he is the kind of he is the mastermind behind, for instance, Rodian, many of these 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 uh, kind of key things that we associate with 
with the team Cantormen, and I think that Magnus will be able to uh, provide some very fascinating insight that will possibly add another layer to what we've been discussing today. Mm. Well, you, you've certainly yeah. given us a target. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I'm awesome. out of that. Uh-huh. Um, I, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed, um, I've printed out the articles and I've um, been going through and making scribbles and notes and and stuff like that. I've, I've enjoyed the reads. Uh, as Thank Dan you. said, it, 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 for someone who, you know, reads comics and stuff like that, it can be a little bit heavy read. It's a bit like uh, Kevin Patrick's book. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's, I think it's, I think it's a must read because it gives you really a important. lot of insight behind the stories that, you know, that most people read and then throw in a book, throw in a, um, you know, a bookcase or, or, or their comic folder and stuff like that. But it, it kind of gives you an idea behind the stories. And, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And, and I think that finding out that so many of the stories that you've seen, Robert, that are so important haven't been mm. published here, that perhaps explains part of why we as Australian readers and, and English speakers, I suppose, anyone who's... Because none of these stories we've spoken about have been published in the English language. So to see those published in a, in a readable fashion for, for Australian and perhaps American fans and that sort of thing um, it, it will be really important. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's something that we need to push for, Jim. Yes, definitely. Um, more... Um, any, we'll, can we encourage we'll, we'll that make, any, we'll any expand our, readers should be? Yeah, well, I think we need to be encouraging any of our expand re, um, listeners to hit up through, whether it's on their Facebook page or just write your your letter to Dudley or um, spoke signals or emails to Glenn or whatever it is you can. <laughs> Let, let's let's make a, a campaign here, a Chronicle Chamber campaign to get these stories um, readable in Australia. Yes, with a Robert you, man forward. You deserve them. You deserve them. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, very good. Thank you very much for joining us. So we appreciate you giving up your time. I understand you're going to Turkey um, sometime in the next week, and, and so you fit us in amongst your travel plans and that sort of thing. Um, really appreciate your time tonight. Uh, for us, um, your morning for you, and uh, looking forward to hopefully catching up with you again uh, to explore these ideas further. Yeah, sounds great. And thank you very much for having me. It's 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 been a pleasure uh, uh, talking to you too. Thanks. Thanks very much. And uh, good luck trying to find some uh, Phantom comics in uh, in Turkey. Uh, it's Portugal, but thank you. Oh, oh where do I get Turkey from? <laughs> <laughs> well, Portugal published some Phantom comics back in the eighties. So. <laughs> yeah. Sounds go. good. Okay, good stuff. All right, thanks, Robert.
right, so Germ, um, fantastic chat with Robert. That was, um, I, I feel like I learned a heap about um, Egmont and Sweden and um, and stuff that I just had no idea about with, uh, with the comic books <laughs> that they've released. It's not often you admit you don't have much of an idea. Oh, well, it's not often that I don't have much of an idea. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but um, even you, surely. I mean, those comics have never been released in in an English language, so you haven't yeah. read them. Um, no, and we we were I both scrambling to to look them up on yeah. Venom Wiki as he was speaking. So um, you know, yes. What what are your thoughts? What, what's your takeaway as someone who's who's much more interested and involved in Egmont and Scandinavian publications than I ever have been? What's what's your takeaway from from that conversation? I guess it I guess it um, reiterates what I've all what. I've said in the past that Semic and Egmont have have such a, a huge, big uh, history with the fandom, and we've got so much to be thankful because of them. Um, you know, not just creating stories, but they also basically educated a whole nation, and maybe they can even educate our nation on um, the morals that the fandom has and that we all should have as well. Yeah, um, no, I, I would agree with that. And, and it's, I, I've always thought it's, it's interesting when people say, oh, the fandom should stay out of politics because he's just a social justice warrior and, you know, left wing and all the rest of it. Uh, to which I would say, no, well, actually, yes, he, he is a social justice warrior. He's someone who, who fights for social justice. Um, and that's part of why I love him. Um, and I think mm. why a lot of other people do too. So uh, I've always found that yeah. argument an interesting one. And he's not, like, he doesn't parade himself of, look at me, you should be like me. I could do this and I'd do that. You know, like a politician when it's, you know. Yep. Um, Election time. <laughs> Election time, they start, you know, they start caring and kissing babies and stuff like that. The, you know, the fandom's not like that. He no. actually just does it. Just, um, just does what he considers to be the right thing and is mm. an example, I guess, for us. One thing I wish I did ask Robert about was in one of the stories he mentions in his uh, article where the fandom, like, you know, actually helps the Rhodian Liberation Army, and he does it throughout all of the Egmont stories mm. to overthrow the government. And um, it's, you know, and he even did it for Hawk stories as well. You know, this is whether whether they were elected, you know, whether they were elected or whether they just seized power. And um, quite often in Rhodia, in Uglan, in Taraka, you know, Terakumashimo and all these other nations and stuff like that, even in Bangala, he, with, you know, and Lubunga and General Babubu, he quite often overthrew governments. Oh, um, yeah. It, <laughs> and, that, and that's well established in uh, Lee Falk's chronolo- chronology yeah. and, uh, and Tony DePaul since. It's interesting that, that um, Tony DePaul is, I guess, someone who was part of Team Funtiman for a while, um, is the one brought who's in brought Rodia. Rodia into the, the new strips, which makes it legitimate now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, makes it legitimate in your eyes. Correct. Who someone who <laughs> believes that the strips is law, where it doesn't finish after yeah. after yeah. Lee Fork, where no, a lot we'll... of people who who are forkist only see it from when Lee Fork died. Sure. Uh, so we all, we all Rodia, draw lines in different places, don't we? So. Yeah, Rodia wouldn't be legitimate 
in their eyes, but from yeah. your eyes, who you know, it would be. And Tony yeah. DePaul's brought a lot of Simic and Egmont into yeah. the strips. And it, it'll be interesting, I suppose, at one stage when, whenever it happens, that Tony DePaul is no longer the, the writer and whoever comes next as to what they, uh, for the new strips I'm talking, um, to see what they bring from their own influences, whether that's yeah. uh, the Egmont stories that they may or may not have read. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Yeah. Anyway, whatever it was, look, it's a fascinating chat and one I think that we'll we'll revisit and um, it'll be interesting to get Stephen's take on this once he has a chance to listen to this conversation and any of our other listeners who'd like to hit us up via a, um, a comment on the Facebook post that associates this associates with this or or in the comments under the the post, we'll certainly we'll certainly include the um, Robert's email address and any of the links that we can so that people can read this essay for themselves. Um, he's got something like sixty sixty odd pages of, um, of writing on this that we've only really just scratched the surface on tonight, um, that'll all appear on our website, chroniclechamber.com mm. so people make sure that you, you check that out, um, if, if this conversation has interested you in any way then uh, a more in-depth read is going to be completely fascinating, I certainly found it to be the case. Yeah, totally agree. Um, if you if you need to get in touch with us, and another way that you can comment is to email us via chroniclechamber at gmail dot com, um, or as I said on Facebook, we're at Chronicle Chamber Phantom Fan Page. We're also heavily involved in the Phantom Collector Facebook group, so join that one and get involved in the conversation. Um, you can talk to us on Twitter at Chronicle Tweets. Uh, Robert is on Twitter as well, and uh, we'll make sure we post his Twitter. Uh, should have had that ready to go. I think I think it's literally at Robert Arman um, as well. So you can you can hit him up on Twitter um, and Instagram. We're at Chronicle Chamber, and we'll make sure that um, I'm not sure what picture we'll use to go on Instagram and how that platform works. But anyway, we'll, uh, you can you can see us there as well. And of course, you need to subscribe to us on iTunes or um, uh, I don't know what are the other ones. Podbean, podcast Podbean one. Are we on Pod- Android? Are we on? I don't even know if we're on those other platforms. If I, I keep saying um, them. No, I think we are because... Uh, oh, do, we have, do we have to pay money to Sean, them? To, to Sean be on Bassett um, listens to us fire. Okay. Fire right. Android. I think well, that'd be, be an interesting one. Um, if you don't listen to us on iTunes, I'd be fascinated to know what other platforms we're actually available on, and maybe we need to branch out and be on other platforms and uh, whatever that takes. Yeah. Because um, the Patreons, who we thank every time and, and deservedly so, because it's it's you guys, our Patreons, who keep us going, who enable us to call overseas like we have tonight uh, with Robert, who enable us to to have the bandwidth to put the podcast up who enable us to have the the, um, the Phantom Preservation project up and that sort of stuff. We really uh, so value your contribution. And um, any of you guys, thank you very much for what you do. Um, but uh, I guess until next time, Jermaine, thank you very much for, for joining us again. Um, really, really love chatting Phantom with you. And uh, until next time, happy Phantoming. Happy Phantoming, everybody. Five hundred years ago He washed ashore the sole survivor of a shipwreck And upon the skull of the man who killed his dad He said, I'm mad, I must eradicate piracy Injustice and cruelty And all my sons will follow me So evildoers will believe that this man cannot die The Phantom The ghost who walks The Phantom Enemies beware The Phantom's always there 
but you won't find the phantom. He finds you. You there? Hey guys. Well, yeah. What what happened? I tried to um, I tried to phone you back there, and it just stopped. I don't, I don't know what happened. No, 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 neither we. All right. The uh, Rodian, the Rodian secret police was uh, <laughs> uh, sabotaging us. <laughs> sounds sounds cool. sounds, uh, sounds reasonable, yeah. Yeah. No, uh-huh. good. I'm glad. I'm glad you came back. Thanks, Robert. <laughs>